Hey, this is Alligator Recording Artist Selwyn Birchwood, and you're listening to Talking Blues. So I understand that um, you have spent some of the pandemic downtime learning how to video edit. Yeah, well, uh, you know, 2020 turned everybody into YouTubers pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) So while I was stuck at home, I was adamant about not wasting the time. You know, I didn't want to get to where we were getting out of isolation and feel like it was wasted time. So I always have to kind of feel like I'm, I'm being productive doing something. And since we were only able to do things digitally uh, and I was out of work, I couldn't afford to pay someone else to try to do any videos or anything for me. So I said, man, I, I can try to learn to do this myself. And I just took the time to really uh, try to upgrade my equipment, um, get some decent video cameras, some decent microphones and, and uh, just do it myself. And I've actually, uh, you know, every promo that I've, posted on my social media as long as well as uh what is it three music videos now three full-length music videos i've actually edited myself and uh the living in a burning house one i even filmed in my room (laughs) and uh you know it took me a long time to to get to where i'm feeling good about it you know kind of similar to playing music i guess uh, but I'm at the point where it's like, yeah, you know, I feel like I'm I'm making legit videos at this point. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to add that to the palette. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious as to what you have learned about learning how to edit. Like, what have you seen out there in the process to make you think this is what I want to do or this is not what I want to do? Uh, well, it's just pretty much been necessity. You know, we, we live in a digital world now, and I had a person that I was paying to do my kind of spots for Facebook or for advertisements and that sort of thing. And I just was in a, a position where it's like, well, I can't call him and, and give him this much money for a 30-second video. I'm going to need another video done next week and the week after that. So it's like, well, this isn't going to be something that goes away. This is going to be more and more uh needing to do video so they say necessity is the mother of invention and uh that's what i landed on doing I, you know while i had the time and while i had the ability I, you know i figured i'd just do it myself which is pretty much my entire approach to life though <laughs> <laughs> do you find is it easy to visualize the song so let's say you decide you're going to do your next video um is it easy to pretty well visualize what that will be and how you will present it it uh, it depends on the song. I've I've always got ideas, and I I think it's just a cool thing. I grew up on music videos, and and I I miss seeing that to where I I feel like you get a three hundred and sixty degree view of the music when you can do it visually as well. Because uh, I you know I try to write the music as vividly as I can as far as the sounds and the lyrics go together, but the music video allows me to put it you know, that last aspect of actually making it visual. And, uh, you know, once I've got an idea for something, it's like, I, you know, I can go about putting it together. But uh, I, it it's harder to just select the songs. But, you know, they kind of 
write themselves as far as the video goes once I've got an idea from whatever song it is I want to use, you know. <laughs> so I know that you just, you released an album not too long ago, but it was probably put on hold for a bit. So the material that oh, you're yeah. kind of promoting right now was probably recorded a couple of years ago, if not longer. Um, in, in writing songs over the last year, has the way you write songs changed at all? Because now you're more used to the visual element. Like, I, has has your interest in making videos influenced the way you might write or play a song? No, I mean, it It, it all comes from the heart. You know, it, I don't think it would be, you know, too productive to try to write in the sense of what is this going to look like on video? You know, you have to write the music to be as vivid as possible. And I feel like if you do that, then, uh, you know, the video will, will come. But, uh, you know, you just have to start with the, the, the music being as vivid and as visual as possible. And uh, that's what I've been trying to do all along. What's been the most difficult part about making videos? Uh it's just a lot, you know, there's a really steep learning curve on it. But at the end of the day, you know, it, it takes practice as anything does. And, uh, you know, um, just that uh, excited to be able to get it out there. Now, you know, I've, I've got four music videos for this newest album I've got. So one for the title track, Living in a Burning House, uh, one for the song Revelation, one for the song Freaks Come Out at Night, and then I just released one uh, for Searching for My Tribe. And uh, I feel like it gets a little bit better with every iteration, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep trying to go that route. <laughs> Good plan. Would you? Can you imagine something bigger in terms of not only doing a song, but doing a film or a short film or something larger than just a musical video? If I had the time, that'd be incredible. Uh, I'm hoping that I don't ever have the amount of time that I had in 2020 ever again. I'm right. hoping that we'll be so busy touring that, uh, you know, it just won't be in the cards for it. <laughs> <laughs> Good plan. So let's yeah. go back to where it all began. Tell me about how music came into your life. I actually, I started... Uh, playing guitar when I was 12, I just kind of had decided that I wanted to play an instrument and landed on guitar. Uh, but it's funny because I'd, I kind of found that I had always liked music. I just didn't realize it. When I look back at all the movies and TV shows and stuff that I liked, even as a kid, uh, it was always the ones that had, you know, the jazz music and the cartoons and, and blues music. And I just didn't realize what I was listening to at at that time and all the way up until I was 17 years old, you know, that's when I first really got exposed to, you know, the quote unquote real blues uh, at a Buddy Guy concert. And, uh, you know, that's really what set me on my path. I had never experienced such raw talent and soul and emotion and just power and energy all at once as when I saw that concert. And I said, whatever this is, that's what I want to learn. That's what I want to do. And, uh, you know, I spent every day since then pretty much chasing that dragon. And, uh, you know, it's a, a crazy thing now to have first heard the music through Buddy Guy at that point, 
to now with my new record, Living in a Burning House, uh, I actually have Buddy Guy's producer produce that record for, for me. So I have Tom Hambridge as a producer on this album. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be happier with what we got with it. I, I feel like with this album, we've really found our sound. And, uh, you know, I challenge anybody to to go find a band that sounds exactly like my band. I, you know, I, I don't think they're going to do it. <laughs> um, okay, so between the age of 12 and and the time that you saw Buddy Guy, what was what were you playing? What were you doing musically? Not too much. I was just trying to learn whatever songs I could find on the radio to try to impress my friends and stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I just didn't really get to dig into blues music and, and uh, I, I just wasn't exposed to a lot of the music that I listen to now and that I've really learned from. And, uh, you know, it's a, a shame that I, you know, myself and, and other people aren't exposed to it more often. But uh, with this kind of music, since it's not in the mainstream, you kind of have to have a portal that you kind of go through to find it. And even before I found Buddy Guy, I wouldn't have found Buddy Guy if I didn't see in a Jimi Hendrix bio somewhere him just raving about Buddy Guy. And then I go find Buddy Guy and he's just raving about Muddy Waters and Guitar Slim and B.B. King and uh, you know, you kind of have to find those avenues to get to the, the root of the music. And, uh, you know, I, I hope that there's more of that <laughs> in the years to well, come. I'm sure there is. I, I'm wondering, how deep does that go? Like, at this point, do you still continue to search or do you start to think about going a different direction? No, I'm I'm always trying to dig back and uh, look forward, if that makes any sense. So I'm always trying to, you know, find the root of the music. And then once you find the root, find the root of the root and the root of the root of the root and uh, really just dig back as far as I can into the sounds and into the, the culture and the music. And then, uh, you know, try to utilize that to tell my own story. And, uh, you know, I feel like that's what we've been able to do. Uh, we've kind of got one foot in the tradition and then one foot on the future and, uh, you know, try to mesh it all together to, uh, you know, tell my own story rather than try to turn it into a, a museum piece, you know. But to to learn the blues, I presume, like you said, you kind of have to dig back and, and go through the, the people that you've gone through, like Buddy Guy, like Muddy Waters. Mm -hmm. How do you make it your own sound? Um, I'm not sure just yet. I, I, that's something I'm, I'm constantly searching for. I do know that that's the goal. Uh, my goal is to find a sound we can more closely call our own sound and I can more closely call my own sound. Um, and I feel like that goal is lost a lot in today's environment and scene. you know, you find people that are content just recording and re-recording and re-re-re-recording you know songs that are almost a hundred years old now and uh you know if and then there's a whole clan of people that want to say if it doesn't sound exactly this way it's not okay or it's not correct it's not right and uh you know i don't think that that's the way it's supposed to be it, it becomes fraudulent to me and to my ears at some point when I hear someone on stage literally telling someone else's story and only singing someone else's songs, 
I feel like that misses the whole spirit and the whole, uh, you know, whole aspect of this music where the, the music is, is sort of that venting and of that frustration and of that struggle and of that hurt that you're experiencing yourself. And when you vent it through the music, you know, it, it allows you to feel that little bit better. And then it also allows other people to connect to what you're feeling. But when I hear someone on stage just singing someone else's song, talking about I was born in Chicago in 1952 or whatever, and I look at them and I'm just like, no, you weren't. And no, you didn't, you know. But when I hear someone telling their story, you know, it just seems to sound differently. It seems to sound truthful and I feel it on a a different level. And I feel like at that point it stops just being music and it starts being medicine, you know, because in that way we don't have to be alone in feeling that, you know. I wonder, um, I know you create your own sound with, with your own music and the lyrics you write and the songs you write, but are there songs that from the past that you did play that you really connected to? Yeah. You know, that, be, I mean, that was easy for you to say, this is really, this is, I can relate to that. I understand what this person has gone through. Yeah, that's uh, really what, uh, you know, drew me to the, this music is that it was relatable to me when I was in high school I you know all the other kids were listening to music talking about how many cars someone has and how much money someone's got and and I didn't relate to that and I I could relate to you know listening to blues music talking about a struggle that someone had or even so much as uh you know talking about getting drunk and smoking weed you know I could relate to that <laughs> and uh you know, whether you're happy, sad, mad, or glad, there's a, there's a blues for all of it. And uh, I could relate to that for sure. How did the songwriting come to you? How I mean, I can't imagine writing songs is an easy thing. But at the age of 17, you see Buddy Guy and you say, I want to do that. How does that translate into you writing your own songs? And at what point does that become something that you're very confident with? Uh. I actually, I mean, I always was writing. That was my kind of outlet even before I started playing blues. Like I would write just notebooks filled, you know, notebook after notebook of uh, what would later become songs, but it was just kind of freelance writing and uh, uh, poetry and and creative writing and stuff. And uh, eventually once I started getting deeper into music, it turned more into songwriting uh but that was something that i always kind of did uh even before i was into blues music i was constantly writing uh so it just kind of was a happy marriage i guess to to be able to utilize that aspect and push it into uh you know my music which is which is cool i i don't know if you can separate these elements but when you when you decided this is a path you wanted to follow which is being a musician. Actually, was mm-hmm. was there a time when you thought, this is what I want to do? Was it when you saw Buddy Guy? Yeah, absolutely. That, uh, that was when I really uh, was able to kind of see what I wanted to do. It was, it was a strange thing. It, it was something that I'd never experienced before, but uh, I knew that that's what I needed to do and that's what I wanted to do. So when you make that decision 
and I don't know if you break this up, but do you think I want to be a great guitar player? I want to be a great singer. I want to be a great songwriter. I want to be a great performer. Or is it all that? Like, how does that, what do you concentrate on first? Uh, I feel like it was it was all of that in, in the same and all of that together. Because when you see that sort of a performance, you you really, the best description that people have is, you know, having the audience in the palm of your hand sort of a thing. And uh, I mean, it's just such a shared energy and a shared excitement that uh, I felt at that show. And, uh, you know, that's what I try to create. And that's what I hope to give to my audiences when they come to see us is that shared excitement and shared energy of uh, just enjoying live music and uh, us putting our energy out there to hopefully be received by the audience. I, I understand that you went to school, you went to college for business. And I, yeah. I was actually told at one point that you decided to do that for your musical career, that you wanted to be, you wanted to know the business end of the music. Is that true? No, I, I went to school because my family insisted, <laughs> <laughs> as most do. Right. Uh, I've been told a lot of stories as to why I went to school. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, you know, that's that's kind of what you're led to do. Uh, but, yeah, I, my family thought that music was a great hobby. They wanted me to go to school. And, uh, you know, I had opportunity to go to school and not, you know, my grades were good. So I got scholarship on it. So I didn't see any reason not to. And I played music all the way through and uh, all the way before and all the way after now. And uh, yeah, I, I, I much prefer playing music. <laughs> but you did go for business. Is that correct? Yeah, I got my master's in business. So what did that master's in business teach you about what you do? Uh, man, I, you know, I, I feel like it almost indirectly helps me because it's almost like a shield of people. You know, so many people know that I have a business degree that they don't try to one over me on a lot of stuff. Uh, at least I don't feel like they do because they'll ask me about it straight up, up front about it. Um, but I always kind of had a mind of uh, a mindset of this being a business. And, uh, you know, it just really augmented that. And, uh, you know, I, I heard so many stories about the older musicians being screwed over on the business side of stuff that I wanted to make sure that didn't happen as well. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't hurt <laughs> to have that going for you. OK, so one of the older musicians who if I I don't know if it's correct to say that who took you on, but who obviously had a major influence on you, is Sonny Rhodes. Yeah, absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about that relationship and how you met and, and what he means to you? Man, I'm still grateful that I was able to to happen to, to come across a, a older generation blues player like Sonny, uh, because I felt like that was another school that I went to. You know, I started with his band when I was 19 years old, um, and he showed me what it was to be a touring musician in this industry and what it was to be a band leader. And, uh, you know, I, I played with him in his band for about five years. Um, and by the time I got to putting my own band together in my mid-20s, you know, even though I was young, 
I was not green. <laughs> so it was one of those things that people were always taken aback by my demeanor and by, you know, kind of the way that I did things because it, it was one, you know, I had already been doing that for quite some time and, and they were taken aback that I, even Bruce Eglauer, when he met me, he said that the same sort of thing. <laughs> He's like, you know, he carries himself like a, a road dog and veteran. And it's like, you know, at that point I already had, you know, we We'd done drives for 40 hours. The longest I did with him on my first tour was uh, leaving Orlando, Florida. Our first show was in Calgary, Alberta. You know, I'm 19 years old. I'm headed out on this 86-hour drive to get to the first show. You know, that first show was a festival we played in Calgary International Blues Festival. And that was my first festival that I played. You know, I had to drive 86 hours to get there. So it's like I've got a different mentality when people show up at a at the show and say, "Oh, can I sit in?" It's like, yeah, you know, you get on the other end of this eighty-six hour drive and you can sit in on the festival, you know. Um, but I'm really glad that I was able to ride someone's coattails at such a young age and really learn the the old way of doing things, which I think is the right way of uh, you know really paying your dues and earning your way to get. Uh, to get your stripes in this business, man. I wonder when you have that kind of exposure and, and somebody who's such a road dog teaching you, can you tell me something that you might've witnessed that thought, yeah, this is why I'm doing this. And also something you thought, wow, why am I doing this? Because <laughs> there's gotta be a whole range. You can drive for 40 hours and know that you're not even halfway there. And it definitely had me questioning whether this was the lifestyle that I wanted. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, the answer was yes. It's like the entire way along. I said, man, this is how badly I want to do this. This is how badly, you know, I feel like I, this is for me. And, uh, you know, the at the other end of the spectrum, you know, you get to the festival and, uh, you know, I was meeting my heroes at, at that point. And, uh, you know, we're getting on festivals with, with some of the older musicians I've been looking up to like magic slim and Johnny winter, uh, lucky Peterson, Kenny Neal, uh, Michael Burks and guitar shorty, you know, uh, Bobby rush, you know, some of those guys are still touring around. Um, but it's like I, I saw a whole lifestyle and a whole world that I didn't know existed. And, uh, you know, that's really uh, what drew me out to this music. So I'm, I'm really grateful that I was exposed to that at such a young age. And at a young age, you, you seem to have accomplished a lot, including winning the IBC and also getting the Blues Music Awards and being constantly nominated for the Blues Music Awards. Did you set out with goals in mind? No, I mean, my goal is the same now as it always has, to learn to play and uh, sing the best of my ability and, and to be as authentic to the music and as authentic to myself as I can and to put on the best show that I can every time I get on stage and try to, you know, leave... Uh, a mark on the audiences that I get in front of. And I feel like if you do that, that everything else will work out. And, uh, you know, so far, so good, I guess. <laughs> well, so far, very good. Um, tell yeah, me about man. the first time you went to the IBC 
and what that taught you for the second time when you won? Uh, man, it, it IBC is just kind of a crapshoot. I've I've seen a lot of really good bands that didn't get anywhere in the IBC, and it's just uh, so subjective. It's hard to tell. Um, but I, you know, from the show aspect of it, I, I really saw the first time I went there, kind of what bands were doing that was working and what wasn't working and kind of how I wanted to adjust my show to, uh, you know, give us a, a, a good chance and be in a good position. And, uh, you know, by the time I came back the second time, um, after making the finals already, you know, the, the year prior, you know, we were ready to go we had uh you know you only have about 20 minutes to make an impression and we used every one of those 20 minutes and uh you know people were showing up and people were responding they were having to close the venues that we were playing in in memphis that year because it was so many people coming in to see us and then as soon as we were done playing it's like the venue cleared out i was like wow you know the these people were coming to see us at that point. And, uh, you know, I feel like we just made too much noise to ignore. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't be happier with the results of, uh, you know, getting first place out of the almost 250 bands that year. And then also winning the Albert King guitarist of the year award. Uh, you know, it's just surreal to even say it out loud, but, uh, you know, it, it's amazing. Okay. So what does that kind of success so early do for a performer? Uh, it's just inspiring for me. I'm, I'm never one to be content with anything. So it, it just inspires me, you know, maybe I'm on the right track of this and, uh, to keep going harder, to keep pushing on and, and, uh, keep going, going after it. And, and if I was to ask you who that musician was compared to the musician, musician you are today, how different is that person? Uh, I don't need, I don't think it's too different, you know, definitely got some, some more years on the road. Um, you know, I just, uh, you know, I feel like we're constantly working to, to just earn our keep. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like we're, we're getting there. You know, I feel I'm, I'm confident in, in what we're doing and I'm confident in the, the sound, that I've got and uh, I'm confident in what we bring to the table. And I feel like we have something to offer the crowds that get in front of that, that we get in front of. And, uh, you know, I'm, I want to continue to do that. What has the last year and a half been like for you? I know that you used it creatively and constructively, but as, as an artist, what has, what has the pandemic meant to you? It's just, uh, you know, it's like a fish being out of water. You know, we went from never being home and, and literally I wouldn't go five days at home without turning around to go start doing shows again to only being at home. And, uh, you know, psychologically, it, it was a huge adjustment. And, uh, you know, once I realized that we were having to stay put, I was just turned the frame of mind to where it's like, OK, well, what can I do from home so that. I'm ready once this thing opens back up. And did your writing change or the way you wrote change because of the downtime? No, it just allowed me to have a lot more time to write. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I had the goal of trying to have a new record written before this one came out because we had to shelve living in a burning house 
for almost a year or just over a year. We finished recording in December of 2019 to release in May 2020, and that got pushed back to January of 2021. Um, so that we had that whole year pretty much. And, uh, you know, I almost met my goal. I got about another half of album of songs written. And, uh, you know, I'm constantly trying to trying to just keep us moving forward. Does the songwriting come easy to you? It depends on the song. I, I can bat around an idea for a long time and, uh, you know, it, it takes me a while to settle on it because I'm so nitpicky, but uh, sometimes they, they can come quickly and that's the, the best kind, I feel like, when it really just feels like it flows flows out well, you know. And, and now, what is it, the fourth or fifth album that you've done, do you know who you are as an artist? I'm not sure. I'm still trying to to find that, I think, uh, but I feel like I'm on the right path. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you know, you've had a lot of success already, so um, that says something. But even the new album, I, I, if I understand correctly, it debuted pretty high. Yeah, the, the new record, uh, it's my first record that I put out. It actually debuted at number one on the iTunes blues chart. It debuted at number one on the Billboard blues chart. Um, and it's, you know, since then, it's still cracked the top 10 of the Billboard blues chart you know four or five times and uh you know i'm just ecstatic that the music that i'm writing that people are receiving and responding to because it's actually my fifth record of all original material and uh you know i'm adamant about writing my own songs and telling my own story and I, i'm amazed that uh you know it's been received so highly and so openly so i'm, I'm really uh ecstatic about that and and so you should be. <laughs> so playing wise, I guess you haven't played that much this year. You're starting to now, but oh, uh, as far as doing shows, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, we're just getting back into it. I knew that this uh, year would still be a little bit weird as far as the touring wise, but we're getting back into it now. We just were home for a week last week, but before that, we had eight shows in nine days. Uh, and then before that, we had a really nice tour uh, through the Midwest and did some festivals. And, uh, you know, we've still got some overseas stuff that's booked for, uh, I think we head back to Switzerland in uh, December. And we got some more European stuff for next year, including the uh, Blues Cruise with Joe Bonamassa. And, uh, you know, it, it should be looking a lot better next year. But uh, at this point, you know, I, I take what I can and I'm happy to play any shows, man. <laughs> How easy is it to get back into the swing of things? Like, how long does it take for you to feel like this is where we should be live-wise? Uh, I don't think that it... I was surprised how little time it took for us to get back to it. Uh, you know, I, I feel like everybody was just ready. Um, it, it used to be that, you know, you would kind of drag to a gig if you're tired. And it's like, oh, I have to get through this gig or I have to do this gig. And it's like, now it's just... You know, I get to do this gig. <laughs> I get to drive 18 hours. I get to haul this equipment. And, uh, you know, it really is a, a humbler to be put in a corner for that long. And we're happy to be back out on the road. So it just came back to you very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I know you've been on the road all day. And I know you have another long day ahead of you tomorrow. So <laughs> I'm going to end the interview here. But thank you so much for doing this. 
I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on. I'm glad it uh, worked out. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right.